on The Last Complicit. I was in disbelief. I couldn't believe when she told me it wasn't her. I was like, what? I said, you people fucked up this case from day one. He goes, listen, I understand. Paul had a rant on Facebook, which is understandable. Like, he's so sick and tired of being led in this direction, that direction, no direction, maybe. I think Nick really wants to do his job, and he's trying to do his job. It's been more than a year and a half since Lauren DeMullo vanished from Cape Coral, but her family is holding on to hope they will still find a sign of her. This weekend, Missing in America came to Cape Coral to assist in the search. We came down today to get the lay of the land. It's really hitting home. It, it, it really makes me happy that we're not giving up on her. Where is Lauren DeMolo? I'm Hillary Wadsworth. And I'm Caitlin Boddy. And you're listening to Complicit. Chapter 25, Two Years Gone. Today is June 19th, 2022. Today marks two years since Lauren DeMola disappeared. For those close to Lauren, it's been the hardest two years of their lives. And for her father, Paul, today is especially tough because today's also Father's Day. When my daughter didn't call me for that Father's Day, I knew it was going to be bad because, I was, like I said, that was the first time, you know, she's ever, ever not called me for Father's Day. And it's really, really, you know, a horrible, horrible thing not knowing. The answers seem like they're just on the brink of discovery. Every tip that has come in seems promising. Every theory seems like the right one at the time. Every suspect seems, well, suspect. It's true that Lauren may not have run in the best circles. She may have put trust in the wrong people. She may have been going through one of the most difficult times in her life. But it's also true that Lauren was resilient. She was looking forward to getting her daughter back. She was actively searching for new jobs. And she was in constant communication with her family. Above all, she is loved by her friends and family who will absolutely stop at nothing to find her. But beyond friends and family, there's someone new who will stop at nothing to find Lauren. A new detective has joined Detective Jones and his team of investigators on Lauren's case. We're going to refer to him as the new detective or bleep out his name when someone is talking about him for privacy. So far, Paul DeMolo has been very pleased with his involvement in Lauren's case. I know he's doing everything in his power to get to the bottom of this. and I don't think he'll ever stop until he does. When he gets something or knows something. He'll call. Yeah. I can call him anytime. He'll talk to me for hours, man. I call him at home and the man picks up his phone. I try not to bother him too much. The new detective does seem to be a responsive asset to the case. But just to be clear, it's still Detective Jones heading up this investigation and communicating with the public. Chapter 26, Missing in America. When Lauren disappeared, it was the height of the COVID lockdowns. Despite this, Lauren's friends and family gathered, searched, and recruited complete strangers to help them knock on doors and canvass the area. 
all while putting their own health at risk. Catching COVID doesn't usually come with a silver lining. In fact, for Lauren's family, it's particularly frightening given that it was what ultimately led to Anne's passing. But for Lindsay, Lauren's sister, getting COVID this past January had an unexpected bright side. I believe it was around January I got COVID and I was trying to find some shows to watch because I was trying to like isolate myself from the rest of the family because I didn't want to get anyone infected with COVID. So this Finding Andrea story, this like documentary of this girl finding Andrea came up like a few times on my device and I just kept kind of looking at it and I was kind of interested and then like a little bit of the preview kept just saying kind of like Lauren's story. So I clicked on it and I discovered this documentary and it was really interesting. Like I just could not stop watching it. It's absolutely amazing. Finding Andrea is a four-part documentary series that first aired on Discovery in October of 2021. It details the circumstances surrounding the disappearance of and the search for 37-year-old single mom, Andrea Knabel. Hauntingly, Andrea was a highly respected and essential member of the missing persons advocacy group Missing in America at the time of her own disappearance. Missing in America is led by a bright, no-nonsense, highly motivated missing persons champion named Nancy Schaefer and her chief investigative partner, Joe Fanciulli, a retired homicide detective with an impressive 53-year career in law enforcement and investigative work. You might also know Joe from his hit true crime podcast on Wondery called The Donut Shop Murders. The Finding Andrea series chronicles Nancy, Joe, and the Missing in America's all-too-close-to-home search for Andrea, who vanished without a trace on August 13, 2019, just 10 months before Lauren, from Louisville, Kentucky, and whose disappearance also remains unsolved. It goes into how Nancy and Andrea would find missing people. And they have a group called Missing in America. And Andrea was very street smart. But then like you later discover in this show that she was involved in drugs actually. So again, it was kind of like Lauren's story. So it was intriguing. She was battling with drugs, but she was also like a good human person. You know, she was a good person. And she was even trying to find missing people because she knew how important it was and how sad it was for the families. So anyways, like in this show, eventually she goes missing herself and it's just tragic. I mean, she's missing longer than Lauren right now. The story really resonated with Lindsay, but not only that, she had a connection to Nancy and Joe. In the show, she has a metal detector on Venice Beach and I'm like, Whoa, Venice Beach. So, so for like a minute, I'm like, is that in California or is that in Venice, my area, Venice, Florida? And sure as hell, she lives like probably like 20 minutes from me. So that was kind of crazy because she lived all the way up north where her friend was missing. And then she moved all the way down south and now lives 20 minutes from me. And strangely, the whole time Lindsay had been watching the series, she felt a nagging familiarity about Andrea, not just because her story had elements of Lauren's, but because she actually looked familiar. Then it hit Lindsay. 
Remember that People magazine that featured Lauren front and center on its cover along with other missing moms? In another twist of fate, Andrea Knabel and Lauren DeMolo are pictured side by side on that cover. Lauren's case goes back to June of 2020, and it recently received national attention. Her picture was on the front of People magazine with other missing moms. This is her right here. It was too much for Lindsay to ignore. She took action and wrote to Nancy asking for help in Lauren's case. Nancy didn't even have to think about it. Immediately, she messaged me back, and then she also video chatted with me and said, I would love to help find your sister. Missing in America's involvement in Lauren's case meant more sets of fresh eyes, even more people selflessly volunteering to help bring resolution. And while you may be thinking something along the lines of, but isn't this now too many cooks in the kitchen? Well, just wait and see what they bring to the table. But first, meet Nancy and Joe, the brains and the brawn behind Missing in America. My name is Nancy Schaefer, and I am the founder of Missing in America. My name is Joe Fanchuli. I'm a retired homicide investigator. I'm the director of investigations for Missing in America. Missing in America might have been catapulted to fame by the Finding Andrea documentary series, but they've actually been around for quite a while, quietly working both independently and alongside law enforcement to recover missing people. And they're good at what they do. We've had a fair amount of success. We don't have the 100% that some people claim, but we're about 98% in recoveries over the 16 years that Missing in America has been an entity. As you can imagine, they get frequent requests for help. Just since the first of the year, we're heavily involved in five cases, and in three of them, we recovered people live. We returned missing people to their families. One, one was a child that was a, a parental abduction, and this, this poor kid had been, uh, had been abducted for over two years. We were able to find him in a week. The other two... One was a woman that wasn't too different than Andrea and Lauren. She had some of the same kinds of issues, and she disappeared, and we luckily were able to find her up in Jacksonville and got her back to her family, and she's she's sort of changing her life at this point. We have two more now that we're, we're heavily involved in uh, trying to find, in addition to still working Andrea's case. So there's plenty out there to do. Though their caseload is heavy, Lauren's case in particular stood out to them. It was mainly because what are the odds of the case being so similar? Them ending up next to each other. And when Lindsay reached out to me and I said to Joe, I said, we're, we're over our heads right now. I said, but we have to do this for Andrea. We have to find this girl because Andrea would have been all over this case. They got to work immediately. After Lindsay had fully recovered from COVID, she made arrangements with Nancy, Joe, and their tactical team to show them around Cape Coral and all the areas of interest in Lauren's case. The first time we went down to Cape Coral was the first week of February, but we have been working behind the scenes, doing a lot of investigation Mm -hmm. of backgrounds and putting people together, putting locations together working probably more closely with with Lindsay than anything else to bouncing ideas off back and forth. When they got to Cape Coral, they started in Four Freedoms Park, bringing their metal detector and underwater drone. Lindsay was struck by how thorough Nancy and Joe were. Joe was saying with the way the current is and 
just the way the water works down there. You never know what you can find in the water. Just like we should always be checking it. They didn't find anything of interest on this occasion, but they were on the lookout for anything related to Lauren. Her cell phone, for example, the one that she lost when she jumped into the water on June 1st, just prior to her first Baker Act, has yet to be recovered and is assumed to be at the bottom of the Bimini Boat Basin, right there in Four Freedoms Park. Back on land, as seasoned investigators, Joe and Nancy wanted to observe the park, let it speak to them, since it factors so heavily into Lauren's story. Just observing that park the day that I was there, that place is really, really busy. And it's busy all the time with people coming in from boats, people coming in from the street. We were watching everything around certain times of the day. and yeah. That's why we went early in the so, morning. What it told them was that things didn't add up. The whole thing with the purse and the shirt are very odd. The scene was salted with both of those things. Yeah. You can't tell me that that purse was sitting in the sand at that park for almost an entire day before somebody found it. Somebody plopped that down at the right time, just like they did the shirt. And they too noticed the cameras. And it struck them as odd that Detective Jones wouldn't let Paul see the surveillance tape. According to Paul, he's not the only one who hasn't seen the tape. The new detective also has yet to view it. Not because he doesn't want to, but because... It appears as though no one saved it, and now it's gone. After leaving the park, Nancy, Joe, and Lindsay continued on to Lauren's apartment. After we finished at the park that day, I wanted to get a feel for where Lauren lived. So we went over to the apartment house, and we pulled around the back of the apartment house, and we saw which apartment was hers and this and that. And next to the apartment house is a vacant lot. Which was a wooded area. Back in 2020, when Lauren disappeared, the area just next to her apartment was overgrown and dense. Now it has been leveled and cleared out, making it easier to explore. I've always been very suspicious about that area over there. I mean, it's right next to Lauren's old apartment. I mean, I've had so many theories in my mind, just like maybe Lauren's not buried there or anything, but maybe there's something specific about that area. I just want some kind of clue. Lindsay, Joe, Nancy, and their team looked around in that lot, and they uncovered something that had been overlooked in the initial search. We find a piece of carpet half buried in the ground that looks like carpet that would have come out of a van. It's got cutouts, like where the seats would be, that sort of thing. We pulled the carpet back, and and underneath the carpet is a shower curtain and a couple of latex gloves. Mm -hmm. And I went, well, stop. Back off. Yeah, that's what we did. Lindsay, in her fervor for finding a clue, had started to lift up the carpeting that was mostly buried in the dirt. I have gloves on, so I'm not, like, getting any of my fingerprints on anything. But Nancy's like, immediately, you need to call the police. We need to have someone down here to take all these items. Like, that's it. Someone needs to come look at this. Joe didn't hesitate. He called 911 immediately and filled them in on what they found. I'm familiar with the sheriff in Lee County, and I've had some dealings with those people. It's a top-notch agency. Within three minutes, a patrol car was there. and. 
the patrol officer and I started to talk. <laughs> this this guy had just heard the podcast. Yeah, yeah. He's he a fan of Joe, so he was shocked. He, he knew who I was, instantly knew who I was. Joe is referring to the Donut Shop Murders podcast on Wondering. Joe has always been revered within his own jurisdictions for his ability to solve some pretty major crimes. His unique approach is to see the bigger picture and narrative, no doubt attributed to being an English literature major in college. But since the debut of his podcast on January 4th, 2022, police officers across the world now knew of his credentials and reputation. So he calls his sergeant. His sergeant comes over within five minutes After that, Detective shows up. Mm -hmm. Major case. We've bleeped out the new detective's name here. He was kind of embarrassed. He was, because when he came out there, after the patrol officer and the sergeant came out, I mean, it was fortuitous because this, this guy also knew who I was. And I lifted that carpet up and he saw that glove and that shower curtain. And I could see the look in his face like, fuck. He did indicate to me that they had actually searched that property once before when it was wooded and apparently saw that rug there, but nobody bothered to lift it up and look underneath it. He brought a CSI team out there and they took the gloves and the shower curtain with them and left the rug, but the rug was probably not very useful at that point. When the new detective arrived and identified himself, Lindsay, like Paul, was encouraged by his assistance on the case. Actually, I found out that day that there was like another detective assigned to Lauren's case too. And he was, first of all, like the nicest guy. And he saying that it's very personal for him too, because he's actually seen Lauren walking around Cape Coral. Like he would wave at her. He had like a really like, I don't know, like, he just thought she was, like, the sweetest girl. And he, he, he called her Speedy Gonzalez. She was always on a mission. She was always walking somewhere important. And he just knew her, and he always waved at her. Just the fact that she's gone, it blows his mind, and he wants to solve this case. With the introductions made and evidence collection in progress, the Missing in America team, alongside Lindsay, wanted to gain an inroad with the Cape Coral Police, anything to find out how the investigation was going. Lindsay and I probably stood in that field for an hour talking. And he talked to Lindsay. I walked away for a while because I could tell he wanted to talk to her privately. And they talked for a while. The long and the short of it was, can't give me any information. He will confirm or deny if I ask him something. Jones isn't going to talk to me. Jones has no interest in talking to me. Jones won't give me any information. So between a rock and a hard place, but I have sent him emails of things that we found. He will take information from me. He won't reply to me, but I know he's got it. We too have reached out to the new detective, but have not received a reply. Though, just like Joe, we do know he's listening. All the detectives are working really hard on Lauren's case. I'm, I'm sure of it. They actually told me that complicit is actually really good for their case because they're constantly getting leads that way. People are constantly calling in and even giving them some kind of small information. While Cape Coral PD understandably continues to be tight-lipped, 
Nancy and Joe are not without their own additional assets. Joe has access to hundreds and hundreds of retired law enforcement people, forensics within that field that we can bring in possibly to see if some of them would donate their time to assist in this case as well. And one of their trusted resources is actually Peace River Search and Rescue, headed up by Mike Hadsell, who we heard from in our last bonus episode. I would like to ta- have Mike take a cadaver dog to that area before but they start it, building. It, I don't care what Jones says. I believe Mike. I believe Mike's dogs. Whether or not the items recovered in the lot adjacent to Lauren's old apartment building are related to Lauren's case, they had still been ignored by investigators for nearly two years. It makes you wonder, what else has yet to be uncovered? We'll circle back if these items taken in for testing are relevant. Chapter 27, Out of the Blue. With potential evidence found the very first day, Joe, Nancy, and their tactical team were encouraged. Now they had more work to do. We have a process that we use for determining areas to search. We look at a number of things. We do some graphing and some research and throw it all into Google Earth and come up with areas where, in a case like this, which is not that different than Andrea's case, we're going to look at where sex offenders live. We're going to look at places where bodies have previously been dumped, those kinds of things. And we'll identify areas that we think we want to search. And we we did that. It just so happened that the timing of their visit to Cape Coral was excellent because the community searches for Lauren had resumed. Volunteers met up at various places like the neighborhood Winn-Dixie parking lot or for Freedoms Park on Sunday mornings and then dispersed to search different areas or to paper the town with Lauren's missing posters. Though the Missing in America team had done a lot of work to determine where they wanted to look, they also wanted to know what the locals were thinking. So they joined in on the search party. It didn't take long for them to pick up on some red flags. So on that Sunday morning, the day after we were there at the park, when all of this happened, they were getting ready to go search and they're saying, well, we're going to go here and we're going to go there. Victor made one of his passes like he always does, you know, where he's in the background and whatever, walking the dogs. Those those dogs get walked more than any dogs I've ever heard in my life. He's always in the park walking the dogs. When this woman was saying we're going to go search here and there and and everywhere and she directed place i believe in north fort myers an area in fort myers victor was hanging around in the background and after this woman went through where they were going to go search that sunday victor pops up and says you're looking in the wrong place yep what Victor simply made this comment, and even when probed for more information, did not offer an alternative location to search. He was then asked to leave, according to a Missing in America tactical team member who was at that gathering. Before they headed to Fort Myers for their search, the same tactical team member volunteered an additional area of interest, an area north of Cape Coral that they had identified using the research methods Joe just explained. 
our tactical team person was saying, well, you know, we, we're going to go look at this other area also. Not that awful far from, from all of this, but it's, it's, a, it's a wide open area. The search party then dispersed, having now been handed their marching orders. The group organizers held firm to their original search areas, and the tactical team member joined them while Nancy and Joe stayed behind at Four Freedoms Park. Had went to that search, and I wanted a metal detector sand area in case something was missed, like jewelry, anything that possible could give a little bit more leads, just to cover all bases. We're bleeping the name of their tactical person here for privacy reasons. He said they hardly searched for 10 minutes at that. A very, very small area, done and over with, within like 10 minutes. They came up empty-handed. Then the Missing in America team left and went to the area they had pinpointed in the initial group huddle earlier that morning. It was an area they felt they had been strangely urged away from by the group that morning. So it made searching there even more intriguing. And it was. The location that we we mentioned to the search group we were going to on that Sunday, when we go out and conduct search there, who shows up watching us but Gabby. Gabby showed up, out of the blue. It wouldn't have been the first time Gabby showed up unexpectedly. Remember that time he came to Lauren's apartment to collect his television while Cassie, Lindsay, and Matt happened to be there? There's too many coincidences in this case that aren't coincidences. So reminiscent of what Paul DeMolo always says. I don't believe in all these coincidences. I don't believe in coincidences. Something's not right in that mix. Something's not right with a lot of things in this mix with these people. We just thought it was, you know, our, our guy is up there searching around and he, you know, he's kind of like walking back to his vehicle and looks over and lo and behold, Gabby shows up there. The detective was notified. And then, it, you know, as soon as that happened, things started moving and people started being re-interviewed. Paul got an interesting update following the search. I got a call a couple of weeks ago from the new detective. He had Gabby in there for five hours interrogating him and couldn't break him. And told me he caught him in a lot of lies, but he can't arrest him because of the lies. What were the lies? I'm saying to Gabby, if you're not sure, don't say something. Just say you don't know. Don't, Don't tell me something if it's not true. What exactly Gabby lied about wasn't revealed, though. He didn't tell me. He just told me, you know, he can lie, 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 but it's not enough for me to arrest him because he lied. I still don't have evidence. And then the questioning stopped. Eventually, after a while, after five hours, he said, maybe I should get a lawyer. And then the questioning had to stop. The new detective was dismayed, but much like the DeMolo family, he wasn't about to give up. He's like, I have to regroup. He goes, you know, I really thought I had him. He goes, and now I don't, you know, I got to regroup and think about this. unexpected appearance at the search seemed to prompt action. But just to remind you, Gabby has never been named a person of interest in this case and has never been under arrest in connection with Lauren's disappearance. We haven't been able to speak with Gabby yet, so we have not been able to hear his side of anything, let alone the police interrogations. But we were able to speak with a close friend of his who also happens to be close with many people in our story. 
My name is Brian and I'm friends with both Gabby and Lauren. I work with Victor, I work with Gabby. I used to work with Lauren's brother. To give Brian a bit more context, remember when Lauren initially went missing and Gabby told Paul that he was not going to go out searching for Lauren, but instead would be staying at his friend's house? Brian is this friend, and though Gabby hasn't been talking to us or anyone in Lauren's family about his experience in the police investigation, he has confided a little bit in Brian. He was telling me as everything occurred in real time, kind of. I'm basically, you know, like his best friend. I was living with him, and I had, you know, lived with him for a, a while. You know, he's spoken with everything he needed to say to the police and stuff, but, you know, I guess we both didn't realize that they don't really disclose that information to the public. Brian is now aware of the scrutiny. I get that, you know, you would want to go after anybody, especially the cliche of, of a boyfriend. As of the police investigation, as far as that goes, you know, I spoke with them then, he spoke with them. He went down, I don't know if it was once or twice or whatnot, but he went down and did lie detector tests. He's, you know, told them everything he knows. And as far as cooperating, you know, he's done everything he can. We asked why he thought Gabby hadn't joined in on the searches for Lauren. He said that Gabby felt that he was not invited, but he offered up a further explanation as well. He didn't explain his searching, you know. He had mentioned that, you know, like searching would seem endless. And and really like where where are you gonna where are you gonna look? I mean, they already had dogs out there and I mean I, I say it's a good thing. The search is a great thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm I'm just saying, you know, like and I wanna keep hoping on that, but you know, it's he was dealing with his his own things. We asked him what Gabby thinks happened to Lauren. Well, this is what he thinks. He doesn't know what to think because his emotions won't let him, you know, like how do you grieve? How how do you what do you think? How do you feel? You know, did they leave? Did they get kidnapped? You know, did they go and something happened and they got overdosed and they got buried in someone's backyard in Fort Myers? A backyard in Fort Myers seemed strangely specific. And incidentally, it was also where Missing in America had targeted their search. Though Brian explained why he mentioned that location. You know, one time she was gone for two days and, and she was in Fort Myers. He continued to relay how hard this has been for Gabby. Not knowing is very hard. It's harder than dealing with what actually happened. Because you don't know if she left him. You know, He doesn't know if, like, he doesn't think so. He doesn't think, but... The still not knowing is, is, is a torture, too. It's hard for people that never had someone just vanish or that don't know what that's like. You know, they, they don't know that they've never been through it, so they, they don't know. How do you grieve? And everyone grieves differently, but it's, it's, it's just really hard. Andy told us it's also been difficult for him. You know, it might not affect me as, as much as it affects everyone. It still affects me. You know, it really affects me. What really affected me was seeing him. I've never seen I've never seen him cry before, and I I cried with him every night for a while until he stopped. Gabby, if you're listening, we'd still really like to talk to you directly. Please reach out when you're ready. 
In the meantime, Nancy, Joe, and their team continue to conduct their own investigation to narrow down the timeline. Until you can clarify and figure out for sure what happened the last place they were known to be, it makes no sense to go out looking 100 miles away. It makes no sense to, to try to run down leads hither and yon until you can figure out in your own mind what happened the last place they were. You start there and you move out. You don't start on the outside and move in. You you follow? They also want to be efficient in their searches. We're in the process of figuring out where we're going to search, who we're going to search it with, Mm -hmm. and it will not be made public whatsoever. You know, this, this area is difficult to find remains in. You know, you're probably familiar with what what went on trying to find Brian Laundrie. Where he was found is probably a 10-minute drive from our house. And we actually were down there and saw there was 10 feet of water and said, forget this. You know, it's like that in the area where they're at down there. She could be in, in one of these open state park, national park areas, five feet off of a road and you wouldn't find her because of the way things are with overgrowth and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. You almost have to figure out from people's actions a potential location and go search that. As a retired detective himself, Joe understands his civilian role, despite holding out hope that the investigators handling this case will allow him access to more so that he can do what he does best, solving crimes. We have made some inroads with with, uh, Cape Coral PD and provided them with information. And we'll continue to do that as we find things. We've conducted uh, searches of our own and provided information of what we have found there. So we're, we're going to do whatever it is we can do to help. In Nancy, Joe, and the new detective, Lindsay has renewed hope. But after two years without her sister, she's still outraged gone on too long. It really has. Everyone keeps saying, you know, one day, one day, even the detectives, they say, one day I'll be able to tell you more. One day we're going to find her and just be patient. But I mean, we're all being patient, but I wish we knew something. This is like enough. Enough is enough. And I think we all need to get stronger. Whenever any kind of information comes out, I think everyone in that group that Lauren bring Lauren home group, we all need to be stronger and just say, fuck it. Like, I don't care about anyone's feelings anymore. I don't care if you're stepping on anyone's toes. If you know someone who's going to be mad that you're talking about something significant, but I don't care anymore. I I want justice for Lauren. I want to find her and I'm fucking annoyed that like, we can't find her. I just, I, it breaks my heart. It's going on two years, two years this year. She'll be missing her third birthday, July 14th, and there's no justice. Paul, too, can't fathom how there has been no resolution. I thought by now, you know, this would have been solved a long time ago, naturally. Unfortunately, we're still in the same place, basically. My daughter has not been found. There hasn't been very many updates in the case. And after two years gone, 
Paul does suspect the worst. I would like to give my daughter a proper burial. She deserves that. And somewhere people can come and go visit her. Not just, you know, a tree that somebody planted or a park bench that somebody sits on, but an actual, you know, headstone that people can actually, you know, come in and, and see where my daughter's remains are, you know, our family and friends, and, and know that she's finally laid at rest. So he has a message for everyone. So I'm begging everybody, anybody that knows anything, to please come forward. You know, to put yourself in our shoes, you know, if you have a daughter or a sister or, you know, a loved one, a cousin, anything, you know, know, a granddaughter, you know, and you know something, please come forward. Because not knowing is worse than actually knowing, you know, even if it's just an anonymous tip, please call the Cape Coral Police Department or contact, you know, people from this podcast. And if you feel more comfortable doing it like that, and I'll let them give in a tip and so we can get to the bottom of all this. It's something that's with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, from the time you wake up until the time you go to sleep. And then whatever comes into your dreams, it's just, it's never ending. And it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. For all the attention Lauren's case has received, all the nationally broadcast programs, local news coverage, podcasts, Reddit threads, covers of publications, her case is still widely unknown. It seems like today, to get a case in the hearts and minds of the masses, it needs to both intrigue and infuriate people. That's how things go viral. And that's the mission we leave you with today. Share Lauren's story. Help keep pressure on investigators to solve this case. Help bring Lauren home. As always, we will continue to bring you updates as we receive them. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening to Complicit, a true mystery podcast about the disappearance of Lauren DeMolo. If you have any information about the disappearance of Lauren DeMolo, please call 1-800-780-TIPS. That's 1-800-780-8477. Or go to www.capecops.com slash tips. Or you can text a tip to crimes. That's 274637. Tips can be left anonymously. And there is a reward currently being offered for information leading to an arrest. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes and continued developments in Lauren's case. For additional information you won't hear and can't see on the podcast, visit our website at complicit-podcast.com. Also, be sure to follow us on social media, on Facebook at Complicit Podcast, on Twitter at Complicit underscore pod, and on Instagram at Complicit underscore podcast. Complicit is a production of 7th Guest Productions and produced by Resonate Recordings. And now, here's another podcast we like, and you may as well.